0: Hi, I'm Josh, I'm one of the students here uh, above our church and I'm going to be taking the reading from John 2 verses 1 to 11 and you can find that on 1064 in Church Bibles. That's John 2 verses 1 to 11. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 80 to 120 litres. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn from the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone, Everyone brings out the choice one first, and then the cheaper wine, after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him.
1: Thank you very much, Josh. It'd be great if you can have uh, that bit of the Bible open in front of you one way or another for the next little while as we uh, explore it together. Hi, my name's John Rizboudjo, one of the ministers here, and it's great to see you here this evening. Um, I really like kind of surprising, kind of quirky facts. Uh, we got a new game for Christmas called More or Less, where you get these kind of unexpected facts. Like, for example, if you had to guess... Total population of ants times average weight across the whole world of ants, is that greater or less than the total number of people times their um, average weight? Which do you think? Who's got the biggest biomass, the ants or the people? Hands up for ants, hands up for people. Okay, the ants have it and you're right, quite right. And another, my favourite quirky fact, not from that game actually, but my favourite quirky fact of uh, of Christmas was uh, the discovery about polar bears. I wonder if you have ever been tempted to eat the liver of a polar bear. Okay, that's quite a common temptation I find. Okay, I wonder if you've ever been tempted to eat the liver of a polar bear. Because if you have, let me just tell you, don't, however much you may find you want to. Because the liver of one polar bear contains more than enough vitamin A to kill a human being outright. It's an important life principle. Don't eat the liver of a polar bear. Best avoided. At least we got that one sorted. But to get a bit closer to our passage this evening, here I think is one of the most surprising facts ever. It's this. That the most influential spiritual leader of all history chose a wedding as the setting for his first miracle rescued that wedding by the miracle and strangest of all did it by producing 120 gallons of fantastic wine after the guests had already had plenty to drink that is astonishing And it's all pretty dramatic when you read the story, isn't it? You know, big wedding party, big crisis about the wine, huge embarrassment for the family, dramatic, lavish rescue by Jesus, then loads of wine and everybody saying how fantastic it is. What a story. It just blows just about every stereotype of Jesus you or I have ever had. Maybe he's not quite the person that we think he is. See, our. traditional religious spoilsport view of Jesus might make us think that, frankly, he'd be rather disapproving and a bit out of place in the prolonged exuberant celebrations of a first century wedding where the wine was flowing. But no, Jesus is there. He seems to be enjoying it. And he turns this ancient wedding into the banquet of the century as he shows up with 120 gallons. Of fantastic wine. Extraordinary. What's this all about? Does it matter or is it just a quirky fact of history? I want us to think about four things to get into the passage this evening. The first is just to think about that wedding that Jesus rescued in Cana of Galilee, which was home turf for Jesus. And the wedding party is in full swing when disaster strikes. The wine runs out. No. Now, responsibility for the supply of wine lies with the bridegroom and the, uh, the kind of host, the party master. And in this kind of culture, which is very oriented around honor and shame, running out a wine for all your guests, that's just a no-no. That just mustn't happen. This is a huge embarrassment. Jesus is there, and Jesus' mother is there, and Jesus' mother says to Jesus what has happened And then Jesus gives this slightly weird response, doesn't he? Verse 4, woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. And yet, clearly, Mary is not quite put off by that response. She's convinced he can still do something. So verse 5, his mother said to the servants, you can almost hear her saying, never mind what you just said, do whatever he tells you. It's an odd story. And Jesus does. These six massive stone water jars become barrels of the finest wine, and the wedding party is rescued. Jesus is clearly good news at wedding parties. In fact, he seems rather to enjoy them. Do you know, I won't say he does love weddings. I don't just mean that in a superficial sense. I mean it in quite a profound sense. You see, weddings are God's idea. You can see them back in the second chapter of the Bible. And I love that. Just thinking about it for a minute. Culture war, identity politics, tribalism, victim culture. And just really bad ways of doing relationships are making us a more and more fractured society, it seems to me. Where we are less and less able to live with difference and diversity. And we break off into all our groups and subgroups just to do our own thing with our own kind of people. But as we're seeing in our morning sermons in Ephesians at the moment, God's great heart is right against all that. His great heart is to bring things together rather than to blow them apart. He wants to bring them to unity. And especially he wants to bring people into unity. He does that in lots of different ways. Supremely, it's his plan to do it in the community of the church. But that is also what God does in marriage, where two different people, a man and a woman, are made one and brought into deep and intimate lifelong union. God loves that. It's right in line with his heart for the world. And so it's very natural here that Jesus celebrates this wedding. This wedding, which is a powerful, symbolic expression of everything that he's about in the world. So there's no surprise to me that Jesus rescued this wedding party. And no surprise that he approves of really going for it in a wedding celebration. But is that the whole of this story? Jesus liked weddings and he rescued it. Is that the whole story here? I think there's got to be a bit more to it. And verse 11 seems to suggest there is a bit more. Verse 11, what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs, miracles, through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Now, that's... That's quite heavy duty language, isn't it? It feels like this is a kind of double underline and bold type moments. The first of a, a numbered list of signs, this is the first one. There are more to come by implication. And of course, when you think about the language of a sign, it's the nature of a sign that it points not to itself, but beyond itself to something else. You see a signpost that says you know, M3, and that signpost isn't the M3. It's telling you the M3 is just up there. The sign points away to something bigger than itself. They are significant. In other words, this isn't just about some wine at a wedding. It's going somewhere. It's pointing somewhere. And through it, verse 11, Jesus revealed his glory. Now that is heavyweight language. Jesus revealed his glory. How is Jesus' glory revealed in solving an awkward glitch in a wedding party? How does that work? Three details in the text are going to help us find our way through the puzzle and give us the rest of our headings for this, uh, this talk. First one is there in verse 4, in that odd response that Jesus gave to his mother. Verse 4 again. Woman, Jesus said, why do you involve me? For my hour has not yet come. Now, is that a put down to Mary? sounds a bit like it people tell us that in the original language it didn't sound insulting to say woman that's just kind of the way they they spoke so it maybe not exactly rude but it seems to be telling her to back off at least doesn't it so is it a put down and is it dishonest i mean did you notice he questions his involvement because it's not yet his time his hour and then he does the miracle anyway what's that about Well, I want to suggest to you, it wasn't dishonest and it wasn't a put down. The point of Jesus' question, here's the first key thing, was that this wedding, although great, was not the ultimate wedding, not the most important wedding. See, when you go to a wedding, I think many of us find ourselves thinking about our wedding. That might be memories of our wedding in the past or hopes for what we might imagine will be our wedding in the future. Maybe not everybody, but many will find that at a wedding. And I think Jesus is thinking of his wedding as he rescues this one. My time has not yet come. This isn't the real wedding. This isn't the ultimate one. My wedding is still to come. See, put this in the context of the whole of the Bible, and it begins to make sense. The Bible begins with a wedding, the first wedding, Adam and Eve kind of finding each other, becoming one flesh. But then go right to the end, Revelation 20 and 21, and it ends with another wedding, the ultimate wedding, of which Jesus himself is the bridegroom, and everyone who loves and trusts him is the bride. Two weddings as the kind of bookends of the whole of the Bible story. Now remember, God loves bringing together two different people in marriage and uniting them. As one. He loves that because it's a picture of something that he loves even more, which is bringing us human beings and uniting us with himself and with each other, despite all our mess ups and failings. The Bible sees that marriage, the marriage between Jesus and his bride, the community of all the people that love and trust him, that marriage is the greatest of all marriages. The greatest of all banquets, Isaiah describes it as, with fine meats and aged wines. And what Isaiah tells us that that banquet is for all peoples. In other words, all of us are invited. Are you thinking about Jesus again? Jesus, the killjoy? who wants to spoil our fun and make our lives boring? No. Jesus, the bridegroom, who invites us to a banquet where the meat never goes off and the wine never runs dry and invites us to come as his bride, loved and cherished forever. Wow. The ultimate wedding. And it can be our wedding as well as Jesus's. Can I just tread on sensitive territory for a minute? I think it's important that we remember That within the Bible's worldview, this wedding, Jesus' wedding, is the ultimate wedding. And every other wedding is at best an anticipation of that. Because you see, one of the big lies of our culture is that marriage now, or more particularly sex now, is the big thing. The goal of living, the nearest we human beings get to touching transcendence. Now that we've forgotten God. But that creates a profound problem because not all of us do marry. Not all of us do have a sexual relationship for all kinds of reasons. And in the worldview around us, that means that for a lot of us, it feels like we're constantly being told that our human experience and identity are just not matching up and are severely lacking. Do you see the point? Added to that, Marriage here, though wonderful and good, is limited. Every marriage falls short of our romantic ideals in some respect. And actually, many marriages are challenging, sometimes painful. And marriages end because people die, or sometimes because a marriage is broken. See, invest all your hopes in the marriage and sex now box and you're exposing yourself to the possibility of very deep pain and searing disappointment. You see how important this actually is. There's got to be something else. Something even more important than sex. Even more important than marriage. Something offered to every human being, whether single, married, gay, straight, black, white, rich or poor got to be something else. And Jesus is saying there is. Because Jesus, the greatest lover of history, who loves you more than anybody else ever has or could, invites you to come to the ultimate marriage as his bride, his beloved, with whom he desires to share eternity. Wow. Isn't that extraordinary? Doesn't that lift your heart, make you want to sing? Whoever you are, invest your deepest hopes there in that ultimate marriage. And you can be confident of complete and everlasting, unfading joy and intimacy. Marriage now is very important. Important to invest in. Important to protect. But it's not the ultimate marriage. This one is. The marriage of Jesus to his bride. So there's the first clue in the story about how this is revealing Jesus' glory. It's showing him to be the ultimate bridegroom. But then the next clue in the text are those water jars, which are telling us that this wedding is the wedding with the best wine. Jesus' wedding is the wedding with the best wine. Verse 6 Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 80 to 120 litres. That's a lot of water. John draws attention not just to their size, but to their significance. They were for religious purposes, for, for ritual washing before food and as part of religious at ceremonies. And for John, they symbolize the whole religious worldview, which had been shaped by the story of the Jewish people. And so Jesus has these jars here, these six big water jars. And in verse 7, he orders for those jars to be filled up with water right to the brim. Why? Well, because he has come as the fulfillment of that whole religious worldview. He has come to fulfill everything that God had promised and prefigured in the story and religion of Israel to this point. He's come to fill it right up to the brim. But then in verse 8, he goes further. He says, now, having filled them all up, draw some water out and take it to the master of the banquet. And the scholars tell us probably That actually doesn't mean draw it out of the water jars. It means you filled those up. Now go get some more water and take that to the master of the banquets. And verse 9, under Jesus' hands, that water proves to be the best wine. The new wine that far outclasses every wine ever drunk before or since. Because Jesus has come to fulfill the story of Israel and To begin a whole new story, not just for Israel, but for Israel and the whole world. A better story of intimate life with God offered to every human being from every tribe and nation and language. An invitation to a joy so rich and so satisfying that it's symbolized by this new wine, this best of all wines. The ultimate wedding with the best wine. The ultimate satisfaction of knowing God face to face through his son, Jesus. And you are invited to come as the bride if you want to spend forever with Jesus. Can I just underline that? That's who heaven is for. It's for people who want to spend forever with Jesus. And he doesn't force himself on us. He invites us. But then there's one last thing. Weddings uh, are expensive, aren't they? I, I know because I have daughters, you know. But this wedding, this ultimate wedding that the wedding in Cana of Galilee is pointing to is the costliest of all weddings. And there's one word that gives the game away there. It's the word in verse four, the word, my hour has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. Why is that significant? Well, you only know when you've read on through the rest of John's gospel and then come back and read this again. Because through the rest of John's gospel, Jesus' hour refers to his death and resurrection. And that's weird. What, I mean, what is Jesus doing in this wedding party where the wine is flowing, thinking about his forthcoming death? That feels quite morbid, quite out of place, doesn't it? Why is he? Well, it's because he knows that his death is the terrible price that he is going to have to pay to bring his bride to that best of all weddings. Remember who the bride is? It's all of us who love and trust Jesus and want to spend forever with him. But here's the problem. Only a perfect bride would be fit for this perfect groom for Jesus. And I'm not perfect, And I'm sorry, my friend, but nor are you. We're messed up. I'm sometimes rebellious, sometimes stupid. I sometimes make choices that hurt people and damage me. They're choices that lead to death. And rightly so, because they are life-denying choices. I'm guilty. And if we're honest, in reality, all of us are guilty. We can't be the perfect bride that this groom that would be fit for this perfect groom. So how possibly can it be that we would be invited to this wedding as the bride of Jesus, perfectly united with him? How could that be? Only if our slate could be wiped clean and a whole new life begun. And that's the significance of Jesus' His death and resurrection, that's what they're all about. Because he died to pay the penalty for all those bad choices, for all of our failings. And he rose from death to open the way to that new life. He bought back his great bride at unbelievable cost to himself. That's what Jesus has done for me. That's what he's done for so many others. Is what he's able to do. For you. It's the most incredible love, love like no other in the whole universe. And the result of that love is this wonderful invitation to every one of us here this evening an invitation to the greatest banquet of all time, the greatest weather, uh, wedding ever envisaged, to eternal life in relationship with God through His Son Jesus, in a perfect joy that never gets boring and that lasts forever and only increases in its satisfaction and intensity. So my friend, please don't invest all of your life and all of your hope in the temporary thrills of our culture. When what is offered to you by Jesus is eternal joy in a relationship of perfect intimacy and delight with Jesus, the greatest lover, of all. His wedding is the wedding to end all other weddings. It's the ultimate wedding with the finest food and the very best wine that never runs dry. And he paid this unimaginable cost to give you your invitation because he loves you so dearly. This this evening, that invitation is in your hand. It's given to you. And the bridegroom wants to know, Will you come? We're going to just pray pray for a moment. Let's take a moment to be still and silent. And let's imagine that wedding invitation in our hands. Jesus reaching out to us. Asking if we will come. As his bride, put our trust in him, leave behind life without him, commit to following him, and have the rest of your life as an anticipation of the greatest wedding of all. What will you do with that invitation? If you've never said yes, Jesus. I want to invite you to do that right now. And then at the end of the service, just come and pray with our prayer team who love to just talk and share with you. You might want to use the words of this prayer, just echo them in your heart. Lord Jesus, thank you for your amazing love for me. Thank you for the incredible price you paid so that I could be part of your bride, forgiven for all the mess in my life. I'm sorry for all the ways I have failed and pushed you away. Please forgive me. I want to start a new life with you. I want to follow you as your disciple. And I want to be with you forever. Please receive me and fill me with your spirit. Amen. Amen. We're going to have a bit of time kind of reflecting on some of that and thinking about what actually it means for the way that we think about marriage and singleness in today's world as well. Bethan, thank you.
2: Thank you, John. Um, I don't know about you, but I'm incredibly challenged by that this evening. And yeah, we just want to have another reflection on this idea of marriage and the ultimate marriage. So um, I'm going to have a little interview. I'm going to invite my friend Sally up and um, we're just going to chat through a few things Um about our views on marriage um, and um, yeah, how that has shaped us and changed. So Sally, welcome. Um, thank you for saying uh, yes to this and doing this. Um, can you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do?
3: Sure. So, for... <laughs>
2: <laughs> Thanks, Tim. No, if not, should we, oh, there you go, there you go.
3: Wonderful. Yeah. Sorry about that. Um, So the anticipation. (laughs) Who are you? I'm (laughs) 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 Sally Campbell-Taylor. I'm a member of the staff team here. I've been here for 14 years now um, and I head up the pastoral support.
2: Amazing. And you got married just over a year ago now during the pandemic. Can you tell us what the run-up to the day was like for you and what you learnt from that experience?
3: Sure. Um, So originally Ben and I were due to get married on the 25th of April last year um, and about a month before that and a week after I started a sabbatical, a lockdown happened Um, and weddings were cancelled for the foreseeable future, which obviously came as a huge shock Mm. and disappointment. I did cry quite a lot Um, and it was quite stressful because we were trying to rearrange our, our sort of bigger celebration um, which we rearranged for March 2021. Haha, <laughs> mm. <laughs> still hasn't happened. Um, but with a view to getting married in some way, shape or form when we mm. could. And then um, nothing official was said about weddings for quite a while. It didn't seem to be a priority for the government. Um, maybe they were too busy having garden parties. I don't know. Um, LAUGHTER but eventually, at the beginning of July, they said that people could get married again. So um, on the 25th of July, exactly three months after we'd originally planned, we got married, but in a much smaller ceremony and occasion okay. than we'd planned. Um, so, yeah, it was hard not knowing. Um, we make plans, but actually we're not in control of the world, are we? Or even our own wedding, apparently, um, And it taught me a lot about trusting God, but sort of really a day at a time, Mm. trusting God, having to let go of things, just trust God a day at a time. Um, Mm. So, yeah, I learned a lot through it.
2: Amazing. Well, before you got married, um, what was your view of marriage and what kind of shaped this view in particular?
3: Um, So I got married in my 40s. I hadn't been married before, so I was single for a long time. Um, That wasn't always easy. I'm sure others here can identify with that. Um, Partly lots of friends getting married and having children. Um, As John mentioned, the sort of pressure in society to to be with someone. Um, And if I'm honest, um, the fact that the church, in in a broad sense, often portrays marriage as an ideal. Mm. Uh, So it wasn't very easy. But um, I worked in a secular job for uh, a while, and then I went to Bible college before coming to work here. And when I went to Bible college, I asked God to help me to be more content in my singleness for however long that might be. Mm. And he did. It wasn't, still wasn't always easy, but he did make me more content. Um, and part of that was that I ended up doing my final dissertation on singleness in the church. And that I actually really enjoyed it and found it helpful um, it helped me to see that the Bible has lots of positive things to say about singleness mm. as well as about marriage. Um, it helped me to see, as we've been thinking, that earthly marriage is not the be-all and end-all. Um, and that, yeah, God wants us to be single well. He wants us to be married well. Um, but the important thing is having Jesus at the center of our singleness or our marriage and having that eternal perspective Of yeah, the ultimate Mm. marriage, and the fact that this
2: life isn't all there is. Mm. Thank you for saying that. Um, Now that you are married, has your view of marriage changed? Why or why not? (laughs) There's
3: certainly (laughs) different ways I could answer that question. Um, But to be fair to Ben, um, I don't think my view has changed really, Mm. um, to be honest. And I still really want to encourage single people in their singleness. Um, I do love being married to Ben. Uh, we enjoy being together, which is good given that a few months after we got married, we were thrown into another lockdown. <laughs> so we were together all the time. Mm-hmm. Well, that thing people had said to me about take time to adjust. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's great, but we are flawed human beings. Um, we bring our own baggage mm. into the marriage. Um, we make mistakes. We rub each other up the wrong way. So guess what? We don't have the perfect marriage. Um, so, um, I forgot what I was going to say next. Um, yeah, I, I think it sort of, it helps you to realise that that marriage is not the be-all and end-all because, mm. you know, there is no such thing as, as the perfect earthly marriage. We can sort of think that... Um, yeah the grass is always greener on the other right. side or whatever um and yes there have been many blessings don't get me wrong there've been many blessings um but it hasn't been a bed of roses mm. and actually in the first 18 months of marriage we've had to deal with a pandemic obviously um also um family relationship issues um false accusations and just recently a close family bereavement mm. so yeah yeah and yes, that was the other thing I was going to say, just that, um, you know, with all these things, the the challenges that there are in life and the stuff that, mm-hmm. that we bring into marriage and in our sinfulness, um, it takes work mm-hmm. to navigate all of that. And we need God's help. And sometimes we need help from other people mm-hmm. as well to, to work our way
2: through that. Thank you, Sally. Thank you for being so open and honest as well. We really appreciate it. And right. yeah, your views. Thank, Thank you. you. And,
3: Just one final thing, I think, thinking about ultimate marriage. Mm. I think there are probably two ways that being married helps me um, think about that. The challenges of being married that come along because we're sinful people living in a broken world. um, They help me to look forward Mm. to that ultimate marriage, which will be perfect when Jesus returns. Um, But the joys of being married, of, of knowing and being known and enjoying one another... Um, that gives me just a little glimpse, mm. a foretaste yeah. of what that ultimate marriage will be like.
2: Amazing. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Um, yeah. That's cool. <laughs> Thanks, Sally. Amazing. Um, I hope that's encouraged you wherever you are with marriage or um, weddings. Um, yeah, certainly encouraged me.